Hello, and welcome to the first of 137 episodes of the Airport Minute. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDad.com. And I'm the co-pilot, Mark Cerulli, freelance writer-producer of CovertOps.tv. And for the next, like I said before, 137 episodes, we are going to be talking about Ross Hunter's production of Universal Studios' 1970 film, Airport. Not to be confused with Airplane. That was the Zucker brothers, and that was 10 years later. Both great films, though. It's true, absolutely. This is the granddaddy of all disaster movies. If you enjoyed The Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, The Towering Inferno, even things like The Hindenburg or Titanic, it all started here with Airport. Airport and all-star production, lots of drama, lots of soap opera action. It's unusual. And lots it's of very, coffee. Don't forget that's that. That's true. Lots of coffee and sandwiches. It's, uh, it's quite a bit dated. You will, if Our younger viewers may not understand some of the references in the movie. But we'll help them. We will help them understand. We will walk you through every literal minute of this movie. <laughs> there, this movie, it, it seems like it's not much of a production, but at the time, it cost $10 million, which was big money back then, and it made Universal $100 million. So that in today's dollars, that's like a half a billion. So they did pretty good for the time. Uh, it uh, preceded all the major blockbusters like Jaws and things like that. But this was a hot action movie for 1970. It was one of the top grossing movies of 1970. And funny enough, it was based on a real story. There was a, uh, there was a 707 back in 1962 that was uh, blown up in midair by a fellow who wanted to collect on uh, his flight insurance. Uh, they found out about the uh, about the bomb that he brought on board and uh, canceled the insurance, and his family got nothing. But one day, Arthur uh, Haley was reading that in the newspaper and said, "You know, I could make a lot of. I mean, a, I could make a really <laughs> good novel about this story." And he did. Airport came out in 1966, the book, and uh, Universal picked up the options for it. And next thing you know, we're sitting down to watch Dean Martin and uh, Barry Nelson fly a plane with a, a crazed Van Heflin on board. Van Halen? Close, yeah. I don't know. Was he much of a guitar player? We'll have to find out. Well, keep stay tuned in. We are going to be talking about this movie every single stinking minute of it uh, until you know it as well as we do. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> so strap yourself in, and we, uh, you don't have to acknowledge any further transmission. Right, keep your seat backs in their upright position, please. So here we go. And one of the more unusual things about this, if we're going to start talking about it, it has an unusual opening. It has a black screen with uh, just audio. You'll hear uh, crowd noises and then the sound of a jet flying by. That's a rarity in most movies today. I can only think of two that uh, have uh, a similar opening, the movie Gravity and if you've seen Wedding Crashers, there may be some others. If you have some, please uh, write into us and uh, let us know. Mark, you, Mark uh, Cerulli, my co-host here, is a bit of an expert on James Bond movies. And I was wondering, did, do any James Bond movies have that kind of an opening? Well, uh, all the classic ones started with the black screen and then the white dot uh, dots. And oh, then you yeah. go uh, right into the gun barrel. Uh, Spectre right. had... Uh, the dead or alive come across a black screen, but uh, you know this. Uh, this was an, a very novel way to open up such a huge movie. Yeah, true. I mean, it, it, it's unexpected. I mean, there's usually like an overture or something would be the only time you'd hear a blank screen, but this is actually the movie proper 
starting out like that. We hear a, a voice telling us that Flight 3 from Continental is flying to uh, Los Angeles and Hawaii. So it's uh, the movie is based on the mythical or fictional uh, Lincoln International Airport, which is kind of taking the place of O'Hare Airport. A.K.A. <laughs> Minneapolis International a- Airport. Exactly. Minneapolis was the site of the filming. And for some reason... Ah, that was my mom. Uh-huh. I put her on uh-huh. mute. <laughs> well, mom may be joining us later on in the show, so stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll discuss a lot more than airport if she comes on. That's for sure. The uh, uh, the movie, like like we said, was uh, being filmed in Minneapolis because the uh, director George Seaton and uh, Ross Hunter had apparently no pull in Los Angeles to get a piece of LAX kind of weird because they had just filmed I mean this town usually goes all out for uh, uh to accommodate filmmakers. Yeah, but apparently LAX was a no-no. Mm-hmm. It, it very strange because they had just filmed The Graduate, the opening sequence of The Graduate is Dustin Hoffman going across their big people mover so And I know they shot a scene from Moonraker there. That's true. Yeah. Was was that actually LAX? I mean, well, what, we, I know they, this is the airport I one. believe they they did. The uh the music begins once we hear about Flight 3 for Continental uh, with Timpani's Alfred Newman's theme begins to play. Alfred Newman, uh, most people know his most famous song, which is the uh, 20th Century Fox fanfare. Uh, Not to be that, confused with Alfred E. Newman. That's true. I don't, I don't know how many Alfred E. Newman uh, songs there were, but uh, the, the Alfred Newman uh, themes are very popular. Yeah, I, and uh, I could just see him at a party. No, it's Alfred Newman, damn it. There's no way. <laughs> leave the... Leave the E, yes. But this this was this was Alfred Newman's final score. He was nominated for an Oscar, but uh, unfortunately, he didn't live to uh, uh, to get to Oscar night. Although he didn't he didn't win that year. And this movie was nominated, right, Jim? That's right. The mo- this movie I think had seven nominations for uh, uh, across the board, and they they won a pile of stuff uh, for a lot of their uh, cinema cinematography and things like that. It's a uh, it is a very colorful film. I mean, it's very well filmed. Uh, the acting is very good when you consider the range of the cast. The uh, the script is tight, and uh, you really, although it is a it is a bit of a soap opera, you can, you really get dragged into the into the plot and fo- following it along. And, and, and a word on the pacing: uh, by today's standards, it's very very slow. But that's the way movies were in those days. Yeah, there was time to develop subplots and things and have a little exposition. Yeah, that nowadays it's MTV speeds are better, so uh, even that's dated now. It, it just it's lightning fast, but uh, yeah, it's rather. I think younger people would see this as glacial, but it's a, you know, a very gripping film. As if and please, if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening to our podcast. Come back right afterwards, but please. Go rent or buy or any way possible that you have to uh, uh, to watch this movie and, uh, airport. And let's give a big shout out to uh, N- uh, NBC Universal and their legal department. Uh, yes, yeah. who I'm sure will be very happy to know that this is a review and it's completely covered under uh, Fair Use Act with the copyright law. And airport and, is available on Universal Home Video. So that's right. And as of June thirtieth, there. June 30th, 2016, they'll be coming out with a Blu-ray version, also available in high-def uh, on-demand video through Amazon. So please go out and buy as many copies as you can and make Universal and NBC Universal very happy that we're making this podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, 
as we're we're talking about that, the first scene that comes up, the first words you're going to see live on screen after the crowd scene of Minneapolis uh, Airport is Universal Presents. And at the time, 1970, uh, Universal had just finished uh, releasing Hitchcock's Topaz movie the previous December. It cost $4 million to make, and they brought in $3 million. So that was ouch. a bit of a... Ouch, yes. Then uh, the, next, the day after... Uh, Airport was released. They released Skullduggery, which was made on a four and a half million dollar budget, and it earned less than three million. And that, so, let me tell you, Skullduggery was no uh, Green Inferno. A huge no. shout out to Eli Roth. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was a disaster. And only the you know, funniest thing was their their biggest disaster movie, Airport, was the one that covered the bills for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, this was Airport basically stood out in a string of disappointments for uh, for 1970 for Universal. They were up against a bunch of other big films and uh but there was a huge backstory there, right, Jim? With with the uh, film itself about uh, oh, Lou Wasserman. Yeah, Lou Wasserman uh did not get along with Ross Hunter and didn't think that uh, Airport would be much of a hit and Lou kept trying to change the uh, the budget, drop the budget by half, you know, make a $5 million movie. Ross Hunter said, no, I can't do that. And he had already gotten approved for $10 million of spending. And Lou wanted to prove himself right. So he started releasing these uh, uh, previews in really tiny towns in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota and up in, you know, in the cowboys in Montana were, watch- were watching it. Yeah. And uh, it all came back with very positive feedback on the movie they loved it and uh lou was furious and he refused to make another movie with ross hunter because ross had proved him wrong and lou Wasserman, we should just point out was the then head of uh, universal pictures right he was the czar yeah. he ran he was the man the whole enchilada so uh yeah getting <laughs> getting on the bad side of lou ross Wasserman was not a good thing ross hunter made one other big movie after this and that will <laughs> big in one way he was he did uh uh, it was a Paramount, I think. He did the remake of Lost Horizon as a musical written by Burt Packrack. Yeah, you so. know, it's funny. My dad was in the music business, and he brought home a complimentary copy of that soundtrack. And I remember putting it on and listening to it and going, that's Sally Kellerman from MASH singing. <laughs> <laughs> this is an insane asylum. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it was not not good times for Ross Hunter. This was kind of his swan song. So he did a he did a good job. Let's talk a little bit about Ross Hunter. He was uh, originally born Martin Terry Fuss from Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, he wanted to get into uh, he wanted to be an actor. And who doesn't? Yeah. So he uh, got screen tested, didn't work out. So they uh, they put him on as a staff producer instead because he he was a theatrical producer in uh, during World War II. He worked on on some stuff. Uh, he taught as a uh, drama teacher in Ohio and they thought, well, you know, he knows a little bit about production. So they moved him in and he produced a lot of uh, different kind of genres, most, but mostly uh, melodramas. He, uh, he liked the romance. He liked the glamor. He liked the uh, witty banter and things. So he, he went through Universal's uh, back library and started reproducing older movies, uh, remakes of uh, 1935 movies and 1930, you know, all, all the early 30s movies. He just moved them into the 50s and 60s and started producing them. He produced uh, Magnificent Obsession, only did with uh, Rock Hudson. Um, so if Point Break had been made back then, he would have remade it. He'd be yeah, remaking Point Break, so figure that. Uh, 
only with Rock Hudson instead of Keanu. So, uh, <laughs> but he did, you know, he did a lot of uh, light comedies and and ro- basically rom coms of the time. He did a lot of movies with Doris Day and Debbie Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And he did the whole Tammy series and stuff. So he was known. He was, I guess, the best way to describe him is workmanlike. He was run of the mill. He kind of an average. You know, it, it, there was a there was a slew of people, and he was one of them that did these kind of movies. But you can't argue with the results for the most part. I think his movies, he made a lot of money, and that's you know that's what it's all about in this game. Yeah, he knew what he knew what people liked. I mean, the the same people that you know would in the following decades watch Dallas and Falcon Crest and all you know Dynasty kind of soap opera movies, soap opera TV shows. He made them as movies back in the fifties. And he brought in a lot of money for Universal, so you know he was he was a a safe bet when you put him in charge of things. With uh, with 1970s Airport, uh, he got a Best Picture Academy Award nomination, so that was a pretty darn good mm-hmm. uh, turnabout. And uh, after uh, after he had the falling out with uh, with Wasserman in in uh, after Airport, he moved over to uh, Paramount Pictures and he started making. TV movies and you know producing uh, he produced another Arthur Haley uh, show the Money Changers for uh, I think that was NBC or maybe ABC no it was NBC I think showed it so he he knew what he he knew what he was good at and he did that which you know what else you want out of life exactly hey so uh, so we're watching we're watching the movie right now and the you know we had Universal presents and it's in a Ross Hunter picture and then uh, the big title comes zooming out of the background and it says airport and we're at the airport that's Lincoln International it's a nice snowy day in the middle of middle of what is supposed to be suburban Chicago and again for the millennials this you know 1970 jet travel was still civilized yeah and it was a it was a thing to do that that well to do yeah you know, not it's many, kind of a, not an many elite thing. People. Yeah, it was uh, it was just coming about to be like the high end of vacation. You'd be a jet setter, get on a jet and go to a place like like Rome, Italy. You'd get on and fly, and that was uh, a bit of a classy thing to do. So my parents put yeah. me on a train whenever we went anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a tough trip to Sicily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this this movie, even though it has jets in it, it it's not that much different from the big ho- uh, big movies that had all stars uh, years before the. First one being uh, Grand Hotel, which was made in 1932, that had an all-star cast, kind of like Love Boat on the big screen. They'd get a bunch of—they're not top line. They used to be top line actors, but now they're like high B, low A actors, and fill up a screen with uh, those people. Uh, this worked very well for Universal because not only did Airport follow that formula, uh, but they'd also follow it through with Airport 75, 77, and 79, the Concorde. So. You know, we're seeing a stage being set here, and as as you watch this movie, the first minute or two, you're going to see a whole bunch of names popping up on the screen that you know they were pretty big box office draws at the time, or they had been in the past decade. The first one that we see, of course, is Burt Lancaster. Um, Burt Lancaster is going to be playing May, Mel Bakersfeld, and we'll talk about him <laughs> over the next uh, couple of hours worth of shows. Burt did not like this movie. He did not like. He he was nominated for best actor. Mm. That's amazing, and best, isn't it? And best picture. He did a good job in this movie. Yeah, he's he no, movie, he's they, always always a very solid performer. He's on top of it, and of course, when it got nominated, you know, well, I was going to say my my favorite Burt Lancaster movie is uh, a little known film called The Swimmer from 1968. It was just a a wonderful performance, and he's he's a natural athlete. He was a a circus acrobat, 
And yeah, you can yeah. see traces of that when he moves on screen. He just kind of glides, and he, he's really light on his feet. Yeah, he's really excellent just watching. I mean, he really knows how to chew up the scenery when he's moving around. A great actor. You know, you really you believe the role that he's in. You don't think that's Burt Lancaster. You think this is the guy he's playing. And he comes across very well. He comes across with his weaknesses and his strengths all at the same time. It's really uh, impressive. But the thing when you're watching this movie is Burt Lancaster hated this film. He thought... It, at the time, he said he thought this was the biggest piece of junk ever made, and he said that at a press screening for the movie. <laughs> so another I'm thing Bert to remember Lancaster, about I can say what I want. <laughs> yes, which is weird because he's kind of uh, cutting a hole in his own wallet because he had a piece of this movie. Bert himself earned seven million dollars from this film, and uh, it was probably one of his biggest paydays ever. The director George Seaton had a big problem because Bert had, with the swimmer and other things, he had. He had been like an executive producer or sometimes uh, a director on some of his films. He was very much in control of his presence on a, in a film. And Seton was like, you do this, you do this. And Lancaster was like, don't tell me what to do. I know I'm, I'm an actor. I know what I'm doing, uh, which is tough on Seton because Lancaster was his second choice for the role. He originally had cast uh, Ger- uh, Gregory Peck, but Gregory Peck was filming... Uh, for Columbia Pictures, he was filming the movie Marooned uh, across town, and so he had to settle for Bert. But, you know, he they, they got along. They were professional. They finished the film, and I'm not sure if they talked to each other ever again. But the other part, uh, Bert had a lot of problems with this movie, but one of his biggest problems was with his co-star, uh, Gene Seberg. She uh, was lovely, and I think she did a great job in the she film. She did, which is kind of a, a testament. Was... The FBI no, weren't particularly F- fond of her. FBI but... <laughs> did not. If you, if you Google uh, Gene Seberg plus civil rights, probably plus suicide, because FBI was really hounding her for most of the latter part of her life. But she was a great actress, and as if you watch this movie, she really comes across with a part, very sincere, and uh, you buy into it uh, that her feelings on the on the movie are genuine. She liked precision and perfection, so she asked for a lot of retakes on films. And Bert was like, get this scene done, get this scene done, get this scene done. And when he had to go back for retakes and have to reshoot stuff, he felt that was unprofessional. So he did not get along with Seberg. But you never see it in the film, though. You see, I mean, they have to play you know, pretty romantic scenes together, and you never get the impression that they don't hate each other's guts. I mean, it was kind of a smoldering thing between them. I don't think they ever made out or anything in the yeah, film. Well, but you could tell she kind of had a thing for for yeah. him, uh, even though he was married. Yeah, well, she did offer... Well, we'll find out about the scrambled eggs later. Right, right, right. A lot, a lot later. later. Yeah, just hang in there, and we'll talk more. Yeah, and, we'll talk and eggs. Coffee and, and sandwiches. And yeah. <laughs> that right. The cast uh, on this film was uh, was well yes, fed. Yes. If you sure. want to uh, have a drinking game with airport, uh, take a drink every time somebody gets offered food or drink, or they're talking about getting food coffee. or coffee. Yes, any any kind of coffee, any kind of sandwiches. So yeah. it's uh, quite a uh, meal filled movie. Um, uh, the other big star in this movie uh, at the front end that gets his own uh, screen card is uh, the co-host or the co-star Dean Martin. Dean Martin also made seven million off the film. He decided not to take a salary and instead give him a piece of the the front end. 
And they said, yes, they were foolish enough to say, yeah, sure, you can have a little bit of the film. And boom, uh, this was his biggest payday of any movie he ever made. And at the time, when we were watching this movie, at the time, he had a hit TV show, The Dean Martin Show. It was on the fifth season uh, of The Dean Martin Show on NBC. And he had such pull with uh, with NBC. I don't know anybody. I mean, I don't want to bring up the other guy from NBC that had pull, but I'll say Bill Cosby in the 80s. He really controlled the network and what they wanted. I mean, he was like, in uh, prime time, he was like the Johnny Carson of money making. He got them down to uh, no rehearsals. He would show up Sunday afternoon for the taping of his show. And uh, he had all of his lines were written on giant cue t- cards. And with one take, if the take didn't work, they'd show the flub lines anyway on, on the TV show. And his show continued. Not This was year five. His show continued until year nine. And uh, he never never bothered rehearsing and never bothered doing anything but showing up with one take. He was just one of those guys, uh, as his wife put it, nobody does nothing like Dean. <laughs> exactly. That's that's pretty much, that could be his epitaph. He just, mm. he knew what he didn't want to do. And he did right. it with effect. Right. Uh, this movie, when you watch it, uh, try to notice that he either has very short lines or if he has a long soliloquy or whatever to say, he will be looking off stage toward giant cue cards. So uh, there's another drinking game you might want to pull. Uh, watch, watch Dino read cards uh, throughout the Not that we're encouraging no, drinking. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you can sit there and have a coffee. You can <laughs> Yeah, have a coffee. coffee. Exactly. But, you know, like I said, Dino was a huge guy. At the, uh, in 1964, he had a recording of uh, well, probably one of his most famous ones, Everybody Loves Somebody. And uh, that knocked the Beatles' Hard Day's Night out of the number one spot on uh, on the top 40 Billboard charts. So he was a big big guy you know i mean we we have a tennis he was a huge yeah. star i mean he's huge. one of the rat pack and uh he didn't outshine uh frank sinatra but he may have made more money than frank at at the time he was and he was matt helm he got in on the on the james bond mania craze yeah, so and i think i could be wrong but i think he made more money off those films than connery was making that, on the bonds likely. and you know knowing how dino uh, worked his lawyers with uh, with all the production companies. He knew how to get the money out of them. So, you know, good on you, Dean. That was uh, pretty amazing on his part. Would you believe it or not, we are actually finished with uh, minute number one. So we're one down and 136 to go. And uh, we really hope that you'll you'll stay with us for the, for the following many, many uh, minutes. But to come, we are... Uh, one thing I would like to do is give a, a big shout out to the people that created this format, this minute-by-minute format, uh, I like I like to thank uh, Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson of the uh, Star Wars Minute, who uh, really were, was inspiration for uh, for making this style of podcast. So wish them a uh, uh, great big thanks for for setting this up. Big tip of the captain's yeah. hat. Yeah, also like to say hello to uh, our friend Peter Regan, who managed to uh, yeah. our uh, muse, his, our silent muse. Yeah, he, uh, he came up with uh, doing this uh, particular podcast. And we ran with it, so here we are. And we will probably have Peter on in some later date. Well, let's not let's let's manage expectations. We'll try. we'll try our very very best. But in the meantime, and... uh, please keep up with us. I know it's only Monday, but uh, we've, you've got a long week ahead, and you've got a lot to learn about airport. And we'll we'll bring it to you shortly. And uh, there is this, just hearkening back to uh, James Bond one last time. The very first Bond is in this That's movie. True, and it's it's not Sean Connery. I'll tell no, you that. And he's coming up in the next minute, so please. Tune yes. in tomorrow yeah. for a for a fascinating background on this certain fellow. So uh, be with us here tomorrow. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of us, we are on Twitter, Airport Minute. 
We are on Facebook, Airport Minute. And, of course, we're also at our website, airportminute.com. Leave a comment, uh, like us, uh, do whatever the thumbs up is for the particular social media you're thinking of. Uh, also find us on iTunes, and please leave a leave a rating and subscribe to us. And give us a please high rating for that one. But we thank you for that. But we will see you tomorrow at Minute 2 on the Airport Minute. So in the meantime, good day. Over and out. <laughs> nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling.